Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night. I hope you're staying well. We have another flashback for you this evening to hopefully help stave off some of the madness and lunacy that's looming due to cabin fever. I have to admit, I had an entirely different story lined up for tonight originally, but then I read a comment posted by listener Loki Frain on our Facebook page, who's been taking a listen back to the earlier episodes of our show an awesome, heartfelt tribute to our late founding host, Lawrence Santoro. I never knew Larry personally, but as a listener, it was hard not to feel a personal sense of kinship with him. I'm proud to say I was one of those that fell in love with Tales to Terrify early on, while listening to Larry's warm baritone, inviting us into the nook. Come in, come in, grab a beverage and have a seat. Get yourself comfortable, he would say before he began spinning his dark tales alongside Mahler, the ink-black cat of the nook. He had such a knack for putting you at ease, making you feel at once comfortable and cozy, and deliciously darkly uneasy. I think we could all use a little comfort right about now. So what better time to listen to a tale by the man himself? Children of the Night, I hope you're comfortable. Sit back, grab a cup of tea or coffee, and relax as we listen to Lawrence Santoro's So Many Tiny Mouths. When the wind freshened, the mouths climbed the sky, played among the trees. Earl Suey wrote, They eat top down, well as bottom up, don't matter none. Earl sat in his shack, writing down, like always, like once, like long ago, when he was barely a coot, back when the government claimed men were gone to the moon, 
whole damn world snackered by that bullshit. Cap Haney, too. Earl saved that newspaper. Still, he had the damn thing somewhere. That was years ago, and Earl was writing even then. Now Earl watched the dark creep. The sand drifted, rolling in dog-high waves around his shack. Dan by sand and dark, he wrote. Forever dark, coming. Didn't matter, he figured. Figured the damn mouths couldn't see. Even though they got one of my eyes, he swigged a little beam and added, Ha, ha. His eye hole itched and hurt at the same time. So many mouths, even blind, all they had to do was open and bite, bite so quick, so often, something would be there by and by, something to eat. Blind mouths against a half-blind man makes an even fight, he wrote on the Tom's River Sentinel. Even, he said to no one, laughing, even nothing. When the end is sure, he wrote that down. Earl always wrote things down. Well, sometimes he didn't. But he had years of sentinels saved, saved to write on, marking over the damn gray print lies with Black Crayon, his wide lines of truth. Always something gotta kill you, he wrote over a story about the president and water someplace. Now there's a truth in that damn paper, he said, and swigged again. He listened. The air clacked, clicked, hissed. A dry rain of sand sifted over the shack's tin roof when the wind died. When it blew, it scoured roof, walls, everything. Gobble, hobble, hobble, bobble, he said, when the sand brushed the window. Sweet nothings, he said, sand making love whispers to the glass. Soon his windows were gone. Turned, he wrote. All my window glass turned to sand. He wrapped the plastic tarp around him tighter, hugged the bottle of beam closer to him. He wrote, The noises in the air where they eat are... He listened to catch the sound. And then, by and by, he wrote, The sound like something, not squirrel, scratching louder in under the eaves. That's its eating noises. Then, putting on paper the sounds in the air, Nick, 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 he wrote. A million Nicks is night tonight. There were no squirrels now. No squirrels in the barrens, he wrote. Pretty soon no barrens, and then no squirrel everywhere. That was an afterthought. Couldn't do without squirrel anyways. The air was cool, and his breath dripped down inside the plastic he'd wrapped round himself. That cold day in July everyone talks of, he wrote. Ha <laughs> ha. The mouths had come with the 4th of July. He wrote, Everyone missed the end of the world. Then he added, Cap Haney, Buster Leak, too. Too much fun, I guess, <laughs> howling at the moon. The moon. <laughs> there had been a picture. Made him laugh. He'd cut it from the Sentinel oh, years ago. He showed it around over by Chatsworth. The damn picture had the astronauts standing on the moon in their suits. And there it was, the damn moon in the sky of the damn picture. Now, how can they be on the moon when the moon's in the sky there, he said. You answer me that. Folks, real folks, they just shook their heads. Good catch, Earl, they said. Cap Haney, he looked. Damn, Earl, he said. That's them practicing in their spacesuits there. They're out in the desert. You see, it says them astronauts practicing for when they are on the moon, for crying out loud. Sure, that's the moon in the picture. That's where they're heading. Christ, Earl, it says right there. Earl, he shook his head and saved the damn picture. If they're on the moon, how can the moon be in their sky? He wrote it. Still made him laugh, Cap Haney. <laughs> the end of the world started with the folks from Filthy Delphia. The family stopped on the day, Fourth of July itself, canoe strapped to their roof and lost. 
They bought a couple five gallons of gas from his dipping barrel, and he'd pointed their way to Papoose Creek. Earl's old hunter dog had ignored them. When their car had come crunching up the sand trail off the county road, the old bastard raised his head and sang a squeaky bass roof. And when the car stopped, he growled, and when he saw their faces, uh, he just fell asleep, farting. The young dog was off on the causeway in the wood. He didn't bother homing to, to see what the hell was up with these folk. You help us uh, with a little gas there, can you? The driver called. Service station's closed over in, uh, uh, the man turned to the little woman. At Chatsworth, was it? The woman bent to the map, crinkled in her lap. Buster Leak, uh, too goddamn rich to work holidays, Earl said. He squinted at the car folk. Yeah, us pineys, you, we gotta take our fun, too, you know. A ton of plastic camp shit. Forget map or sense, these folks were good and lost. Daddy's sausage hands were sweat tight on the wheel. Pretty fingernails, shiny. Uh, we're looking for, uh, is it uh, the, the wading river? <laughs> yeah, the wading. And uh, um, it's the, uh, the Papoose Creek. Uh, Daddy said it like he didn't want to say it. You, you heard of uh, Papoose Creek? The woman leaned over to look at Earl. A white strip of sun grease ran like war paint down her nose. She yelled slow, like talking to a damn Mexican. We hear about Jersey's pine barrens in Philadelphia. There is so much history here. <laughs> she clicked her tongue. We want, you know, want the kids to see be before, you know, we want them to see the pines before, yeah, before Capaney cuts them down, rolls out them little bitty houses here to sell. Earl said. The lady smiled. The kids sulked in the back seat, looking nowhere. Earl started. He gave him shit for a little spun tails, charged a pretty penny for the gas. Penny? <laughs> Hell, Earl charged what they call an arm and leg for a short five gallons of dewy low test because Buster closed the Baron's shell for independence. <laughs> Son of a bitch, he was good for something. After dipping and shitting him, Earl pointed them to Papoose Creek. Now that Papoose bottom water, <laughs> that is good for what ails you, <laughs> he winked at the man. It makes you strong, if you know what I mean. And then he looked at the woman. She snapped a picture of Earl with, a, with her little yellow camera box from the store. They paid, and they were gone, like that. Earl was going to tell them, watch out for that Jersey devil now. He carries off folk in the night, his hundred teeth like needles clacking. He'd written down that story years before. He could have warned them to watch their damn campfire for Christ's sake. Could have said, it might look swampy wet out there, but it ain't. Dry for Christ knows how long. I don't want my shack and me burned through your careless ways. I built this myself. Oh, Christ, now, I built it back when Cap Haney was a little shit back in the damn Depression. I've been here that long. Cap getting richer, me getting older. He would have told them about Cap, his damn bogs, the nigger day laborers he's jobbed in and the seasons. But the damn people, they just... The damn people drove off. The car kicked a rooster tail of sand as it slewed onto the trail and into the pines. The old dog slept. Earl laughed. <laughs> then he kept watch through the back window. Evening on, Earl leaned against the glass, looking, looking toward the creek, watching for sparks, the telltale glow of run-wild flame in the sky above the forest. Night sneaked from under the trees, across the sand, between him and the woods. Tree shadow touched his wall, and dark crawled over him and onto the shack, over Haney's bogs. Then night was everywhere. Night stayed day hot. The sky was pale and watery. Of course, that could have been his damn eyes still. All he saw of earth and heaven that last night of the world was the forest and a few stars wiggling in heat. 
that and the thing. If there had been no folk in the woods, Earl would have sat his porch, taken the breeze off Haney's bogs. He would have rocked, listening to the crick crack and the buzz of bugs and the wing moan of swallows as they fed. He could have sat breathing pinewood scent through his own, and the dog's stinks, those familiar reeks mixed with the nearby whiff of frog, toad, decaying water life bubbling up from the bogs and the faraway mossy sphagnum breath of cedar swamp steeping in the deep wood. He could have had a good night, July the 4th, gone to bed and died stupid like the world was going to. He didn't. He was watching out that damn bunch in the woods, and because he was, he saw the thing. He saw it come, almost burned his eyes out white, like sunlight screaming its set black shadows climbing the insides of his shack. He heard the coming thing fry the air, felt it whomp the ground. For seconds, the shack shivered on its stone posts. The wind sucked out of him, then deep thunder boxed his ears. The damn air punched his chest a second later and rolled across him, wiggled the flab of his face. The old hunter-dog went, went standing suddenly wild, looking around, singing. I best write that down. <laughs> what do you say? Earl said, and he wrote. Stars shooting back, he wrote. Fourth July... The stars shoot back. A big cum. A big cum. He figured the Philly folk were gone. Found later he was wrong about that. Figured the thing had whomped down by Ong's Hat Cross, where the Ford sisters had their shack. That was that for them, he figured. I was too bad, too. He liked those Ford girls. <laughs> Earl ran outside to look for fire sign. Nothing but the glowing wake across the sky. He listened for the fire trucks to come, shouting out of Chatsworth. Nothing. <laughs> Too much independence fun, he figured. All your money, Cap Haney, and <laughs> you don't even care about... You don't even care about... It took him a half minute. You don't even care about them poor people, he figured out loud. In a few minutes, the trail of the fallen star was a blue smear down the sky. After a good half hour, there were still no trucks, no men. Well, up to me, he said. He waddled the hundred feet from his shack to the woods, not to it normally. But tonight, tonight it was an uphill mile. Hell, a hard two-mile. Each step sank him to his ankles. Each step he shoved backward in giving earth. It was like wading through a running tide. The black forest wall rose ahead, rose and whispered. He had never been afraid, not ever, not of critter, woods, nor night. Little shit and grown man Earl Suey was pine-born and fearless. Now... The forest was a stranger. The wood whispered unfriendly in a tongue he'd never heard. What was different? Something changed, but what the hell he didn't know. He'd write down when he did. Twenty steps into the forest, and the trees folded shut behind. The world, Shack, Boggs, and Chatsworth, all was gone. Now it was him and the sand sweeping his feet. Overhead, the pine boughs were black fingers against the blue ghost light of the star's trail. Even that soft light was spreading into the big night. Out of the forest came a ripple. Something breathed across him, and the world rumbled, rising and sinking, like a john boat riding a tidal swell. Earl's toes tried to grip the sand through his boots. Night's breath was cold. It was bad. A, a smell he didn't like wrapped him. From down the trail, a scream squeaked his ears. Wasn't man nor woman. No animal he'd heard, not even being eaten, living, made that noise. 
Something, oh, something. Clamped in pain. Was down ahead, dying. He tried to grab hold. Remember the noise, the stink, for writing down later. Too much new was happening, though. The, the path to Papoose Creek, a way he'd walked since the Great Depression, had become something else. Night's heat was gone. Christ, he, he should have brought his damn lamp. No sooner had it washed him, though, than the stink, the sound, was gone. When a branch, he should have known, bit his ankle. When reach creepers damn near snared his legs. When a heaved root nearly tumbled him onto the bogwash, he stopped dead. Chill sweat covered him. He heard it then, and this time he could not forget. He hadn't run since he was a boy. Men didn't run. He ran. It stayed. It followed him, back to his shack. His hair stood wet with damp and chills. It climbed his bones. He scribbled down. Black sky, he added. Black forever, everywhere, everywhere. Something different. That was something he felt that was true, but he didn't know why. And then he did. The difference is... It is different, he wrote that down. Before, everything was all the same, all the same forever. Trees, paths, places, all directions the same. Now, not. Now, all, all is different. From his back window, he looked at the black forest, at the white sand path that led there. Everywhere was difference. Everywhere he listened, and he listened to the night. Even silence had a stranger's voice, and from the pines came the noises where the silence ate. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He woke when something thumped the shack's ass end. The glass he leaned on bumped his head. Outside, day was bright. It wasn't hard sun, but fuzzy bright. Fog had come while he slept, and the shack was wrapped in gray. Another something whomped the wall. He laid his hand against cool glass. The fog on the pane shoved back. His hand shook. I can't see shit, he told the old dog. The hand he pressed to the glass was veined red and blue, thick-skinned, 
crossed with scars and stories. That was the same. At least that. The nails were yellowed, thick, chipped, dirty. After so much night writing, his right thumb and first three fingers were black with crayon wax. The pinky edge of his hand was gray with news ink. Like always, those hands were truthful. And now they shook. They shook, damn them. Another something screamed as it whomped his wall. He'd had it. Onto the porch, Earl, the old dog. The shack might as well be hung a mile in the air. He couldn't see earth, not even the foot of his own damn steps. He and the dog stood there, and they sniffed. To Earl's thinking, morning smelled a little like fire, a little, not a lot. What the hell, he thought. I'm near ninety. Near ninety and afraid, Christ! And something else whomped the back of the shack. A big flapping followed. The old dog leaned, trembled against Earl's leg. Christ! Earl gave the animal a shove with his knee. Ought to take you and shoot you, you old bastard. Dog, afraid, ain't useful. The old dog waddled toward the gray morning. He stretched his neck, took one step from the porch into the mist, and then another. Suddenly its body jerked. He sounded one long, howling note that curdled into a growl and flopped backward to where Earl stood. Dog song echoed from the day. Now this was a good old dog, lazy on its porch, but, but one to fly, flapping ears and jowls, singing into the trees and off the trail in long-legged strides, ahead of roaring trucks, charging junkers, bouncing after game, running the night, unafraid of tires, guns, or the tearing death of tooth or claw, this old dog. Now, this old bastard tucked its head and whimpered into the shack. Another thump on the back wall, another scream, more flapping from the mist, screams echoing inside the old dog simpered. Oh, what the hell, Earl said. The world smelled, stank a little like outhouse, something of old oil and gas, the, the way them old fish boats by Egg Harbor smelled. And something else hung on the bottom of those stinks. What the hell, Earl said. Then it came. The day smelled, damn it, damn it, if it didn't, the day smelled like sex. Once he caught hold of that, Earl reeled it in. Damn, if it wasn't the biggest part of the morning, the thick odor like that place women had. He, he remembered that damn much about it all. <laughs> You old shit, he said to the hound. What good's a dog afraid of a little pussy? <laughs> the dog shuffled deeper into the shack, away from the open door. The flapping from the back sounded like a woman shaking a wet sheet for drying. Two, three wet sheet, a dozen wet sheets. Another thud and more out of the noise from both sides of the place. A stream of birds came running, reaching for the air, big birds and small. With them came fox, coon, squirrel, possum, all together swarming around the shack, flowing past, over his roof, his porch, and into the fog, all away from the woods. Jesus Christ, Earl said. Later, he tried to write down the sounds they made, birds so scared they forgot air had buildings and trees in it. Squirrels so frightened they'd run with fox or cat, critters as would eat them standing still or on the run, all the cries so terrible as to frighten a chase hound. The broken, flapping birds were the worst. Later, he wrote, No birds, but birds'll be the last. A minute after, he calculated fish might be last to go, but he didn't bother writing it down. Earl stepped off the damn porch. Two paces, and the shack was a gray smear in the blank white day. A man could lose himself, step from his own damn porch, he said. Having said it, he realized it was true. 
Earl rooted inside among piles of papers, stacks of dirty dishes, pots and forks, pans and cans, through stinking clothes he'd meant to wash, the radio in pieces all over, under the yards and yards of plastic tarp. He tossed aside tools, wire, pistons and rods, rooted among boxes, bottles, engine parts. He finally found the rope, the good yellow stuff, the kind the electric men used to stay the power poles over by the highway, two hundred feet coiled neat. He tied one end to the porch post, the other around his gut. Then he stepped down and onto the sand again. Still like wading water, he thought. Wading running tide, he said. The shack disappeared behind him. Alone in the mist, he played out the rope, trudging through the giving sand to the forest. Behind, small critters still whomped his home from time to time. They cried pain, they shouted terror, then they fled. What the hell he was doing, he didn't know, but he felt the need to look. Felt he ought to be on the trail, into the woods. Whatever strangeness was here, it had come from the sky. Now it was in his patch of wood, this foggy morn. He had maybe forty, maybe fifty feet of nylon rope still on the coil, when screams, a thousand of them, echoed from the mists. Some near, some distant, the screams held a thousand terrors, all pain, all on the move toward him. A breeze stirred the sex stink a little bit. The air cleared enough to let him see the opening in the forest wall, a place darker in the gray. Through the fog, it seemed a mile, seemed, but it was close. Earl squinted against the day, against his age, against disbelief. Ahead, the forest floor moved toward him. Out of the screaming woods and rustling brush, the sand rippled like waves on a still pond. In slow, slow motion, the wave front crested, breaking toward him, almost frozen, almost, but not. The wave's breath came on the breeze, rotted meat and dirty sex. The sand breathed on him. It was the sand that screamed the thousand, the million tiny voices. The sand and the things the sand was eating. The sand said a billion times above the hissing flow of coming tide. From the trees, Earl's dog, the other, the young one that had been hunting yesterday, last night when the thing came down. Now the young, the stupid animal came crawling, dragging its ass end. Earl watched the damn animal haul itself from the pines. It reached where the wave crested, then collapsed, rolled head over ass, then stopped, stuck, sinking in the rippling sand, stopped. It devoted itself to screams. From the shack, the old dog returned the call. Whole thing took a minute, and at the end, the dog was gone. For a few seconds, it struggled, seemed to sink, sink slow like a boat oozing under the water. When the hound rolled over, it was dead and no longer screaming, but it continued to writhe made lively by the action of the chewing sand, argued over by so many tiny mouths. The dog went side up first, then belly up, ribs like teeth. Earl saw no legs, no more, no more hind end and belly. The thing was body cavity and bone, spilling, unwinding guts, dissolving flesh and blood, seeping into the sand. And the sand drank. The sand ate. The dog melted like a block of ice in summer. It was summer, and soon gone. A minute. Earl wrote, Sand come from out of space. He wrote, but knew that wasn't right. Sand may be made alive by... <laughs> He held the crayon above the page of the Tom's River Sentinel. It shook. He couldn't figure what to say. What made the sand alive? He wrote, 
That star fucked us, sure. That seemed as good an answer as any. Fucked the Earth and made it live. He was writing on the picture of the astronauts back from the moon, sitting in their little isolation trailer, talking with the president through the window, astronauts smiling. And when the morning stopped screaming, the mists cleared some. The rippling wave folded closer to Earl. He backed away, kept a good twenty or thirty feet of still earth between the living, rolling sand and his own damn self. The day had cleared enough to let him see a little. Even so, he followed the yellow rope, wound it around his arm, back to the cabin, onto his porch. He hugged his porch post, the post he'd raised in the Great Depression. The sand waved, stopped a couple three yards from his steps. It murmured, waiting, waiting. The world stewed and hissed a pot set to simmer. He heard more than saw through the thinning fog, but the forest was moving, creaking, cracking, trees, a, a few, fell. Then more, they fell, rolled, tore the brush, the brush crackling in its own dissolving ways. He pictured the pines falling, upended, rolling, sinking, eaten like his dog. The wind blew and the fog tore to shreds around him. With the blowing wind, Earl got a little of himself eaten. A grain of sand on the wind, some grit to the eye, that and nothing more, nothing unusual in the barrens. He blinked, wiped the corner of his eye like always, and then from deep inside him, the familiar pain grew new teeth. White heat screamed. It grabbed the side of his head. Fire flashed a bright needle inside his eye. One grain, but it ate fast. It ate hungry, ate fuller than he could have thought. That thinking came, was written down later. Of course, later. In the moment, the pain dropped him to his knees. He fell, hands first on his porch. By the time he'd wiped the grain away, the eye jelly was gobbled. The lid poked through, ate out, and that part of his seeing was gone. Gone for good. Later, the sand waves swept forward, slowly, running like molasses in January. It wrapped the shack. It rolled on. Later. Later, he wrapped his head in the torn parts of his last clean shirt, took to wearing the goggles he'd kept when he junked that Indian motorcycle back in 1942. He wrapped and taped himself inside the plastic tarp. That's when he wrote, Hell, there's something gotta kill you. Might as well be this. And that was as true as anything he'd ever written down. Later, the car came out of the silence, banged and screamed, a strange and alien thing on metal rims, the tires eaten, gone, the engine banged near death, over-racing, coughing, threatening a stall, but kicking sand every which way, spraying the tiny teeth into the air. Sand eats rubber, he yelled. <laughs> Reckon you know that, though, he said to himself. The car folks stayed put, yelling, but stayed put. Earl wore his new plastic suit and brick shoes out the door, bricks wrapped to his feet with yellow plastic rope. He whisked the windborne sand mouths off the porch with a flail of frayed tether. The car's windows were near gone, pitted and holed like cheese. Now the glass, it turns to sand, Earl yelled. Shreds of nylon tent covered the holes where the windows had gone over. Well, I guess you found that one out, too, Earl said. In the car, the people screamed. Earl couldn't see who was left. <laughs> where to go? What to do? What, for God's sakes, to do? How do we get out of here? <laughs> they all screamed at once. Give us gas, someone inside yelled. Pour some gas and we'll take you too, someone yelled. Earl thought it was the man, but who knew? The yelling was so shrill. Sure, Earl yelled. Well, I gotta charge you, though. <laughs> he laughed at that. Help us, for God's sake, help us. 
It was another voice. The woman's, maybe. Maybe the girl's. He couldn't see with his one good eye and the fading light and the pitted plastic lens of the cycle goggles. Where you gone? he called across the sand. Where's out of here when the whole world's going over? <laughs> Please. It was a squeaky boy's voice, then again louder, the squeak rising through a scream of please. Well, <laughs> the gas is there, son, Earl pointed to the drum. It sat where it had the day before and for fifty years on its stone base. Go, go help yourselves. It's a day after holiday special, he called across the clear. He felt a needle sting as a couple of pissed-off mouths nibbled at his nose. He swatted where they bit. He scraped them away, leaving a little trail of blood across his glove. Fill her up, he yelled. Couldn't help laughing at the thought. He laughed again. The family danced in the dying car, yelling to him, to themselves, to the world. Earl wondered what was going on. Being decided behind those tent flaps, who'd sacrifice? That's it, he said aloud to himself. That's it. I bet you're figuring, now, how far can we get on this tank? Or you're thinking, how long can I last? How much gas can I dip and pour till they, till they eat me to the knees, huh? huh? Earl didn't figure the sausage-fingered man to give himself up for eating. Send the boy! Earl yelled. <laughs> and then what? he said, but he said it quiet and to himself. He was wondering how damn desperate the folks were. He stood by to watch. Earlier he calculated why he was uneaten. He'd built on piles of rock. Back in the Great Depression, he built his shack just right, kept sill beams off the ground, so he sat on old granite now, watching the sand eat the living earth away. Oh, it was eating the cabin now, now, he, he couldn't miss that. He could hear it at the wood, the sand was resting, but when the wind stirred, it flew, where each grain nested on something living or something once alive, a, a log, a blade of grass, or a critter, the sand ate ate, and didn't fill. He wrote down, Nick, 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 a billion times already. Billions more to go. Earl watched through the day, and when the sun sat on the western sawtooth ridge of trees, the sand began to stir again. Uh, you're waking up for night, he wrote. The wave began to ripple, to murmur. Not a bird, not a bee, not a critter moved on earth that Earl could see. Just ground itself, gnawing, crawling on its mouths. Earl dozed, downing whiskey to kill the pain in his eye, his head. He slept, not well, but hard, and he woke alone. Dog gone, he wrote. Then he laughed. Brick shoes, now that was smart, he reckoned. Keeping wind-drift sand off his floor out of the way became impossible. There was too damn much, too much wind and the sand too small. The plastic tarp he wrapped himself in wore as he walked, let some seep in, and when it came, it ate, ate on his feet. Finally, he got the notion. Put something between him and the ground, something sand didn't eat. Bricks, he figured, bricks would work. Knocked a couple off the base of his kerosene heater, and, and that was it. Fine as frog fur. <laughs> and from then to the end of the world, Earl walked, clumping, thud, thud, thud. From his porch in sundown light, Earl kept watch. The damn car never drove off, never tried. No one got out, no one tried to fill the tank. The thing sat, revving every now and then, every so often. The inside screamed. Sometimes the screams were at him, and sometimes not. 
Every so often the car shook and shimmied as though someone inside was dancing, fighting, humping. Sundown. The car went still. The engine chugged through the last of the light. With the crawl of shadows, it coughed once or twice, raced again, and then shuddered, still. Earl listened. There was a voice inside, one. It was crying. Earl took a last sip of Jim Beam. Go on home now, he said. Go on home, and he tossed the bottle to the sand. Not light enough now to see, but he heard. Heard the whisper of the sand, the urgent chatter of the glass as it shivered into a billion parts, the parts making friends with the sand. The voice from the car kept crying. In an hour, it screamed, loud. The screams went on for a minute or two, maybe three. Earl's clock had stopped. But then the car went quiet. Later, he listened to the trees, their noises as they fell. Soon after he was gone, Earl figured, pretty soon after, he figured, the trees, they'd be gone too. Fuck em, he figured. Damn trees tried to put his eye out, tried to trip him all his years of wandering the forest. They'd tried to crush him when he felled them. Had been the mothers of splinters and burning faggots and broken chairs, and, and trees had tried to get him all his life, and they had failed. And they might outlive him now, but not by much. Grass, cranberry, sphagnum moss, fern, other living shit, that'd all go down the mouths. Fuck the trees and the horse they rode in on, he wrote it down. Almost the last thing. For a second, he thought about being buried. Then he laughed. World swallows you anyway. Might as well like this, he wrote. That was the last. Earl looked up. The wind picked up, blew through the holes where once the windows were. The grain scoured the wood. He shuffled the plastic tarp around him tighter. He kept them out as long as he could. He looked to the noise above, the roof crackling like small arms fire. Pieces fell, dissolving as they fell. Through the holes, the stars shone bright. In the chomping night, he pictured the world. The whole damn world spread below him, like he was one of them astronauts. A real one. A real, for Christ's sake, astronaut, a real traveler in the outer space. He and the Sands were real astronauts. In his mind's eye, Earl saw the world. He looked down on it like the papers said the astronauts in space had done. <laughs> in his mind's eye, Earl watched Earth shrivel die. All the living, all that was growing green and climbing, all the critters, the people, he watched it shiver and go down, rolling in the sand like that dumb young dog of his. He watched it all go down the tiny mouths. How many grains of sand was there? All around the world, how many tiny mouths? <laughs> from where Earl sat, wrapped in plastic, tethered to his shack, peering from his goggles, breathing slow. He saw the world reshape, flatten, in his mind's eye, looking down. Damnation! He hoped that would be the way. Everyone gone when he was gone. Folks from filthy Delphia, Buster Leak, Cap Haney, the pickers he hired in the harvest, all of them gone after. Oh, he hoped. When it came, the pain was pure lousy. Soon it ended. In just a minute. Maybe two.
That was So Many Tiny Mouths, written and read by our late host, Lawrence Santoro. As always, if you'd like to hear the full episode or listen to the story in context, I've placed a link in the show notes. And until next time, children of the night, stay safe and stay sane. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.